Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. You better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I am coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China, where I'm actually sitting in a Shenzhen airport at the moment waiting on a delayed flight. It happens quite often, especially when you're traveling during the rainy season. I'm ending up here at the airport for about four hours on my way to Zhengzhou, which is the center, the, the, the heart of China, meeting with our Chinese pastor friends. I want to give um, an, an update about the situation in North Korea, but before I do, there was a, um, an email that came to me. It wasn't an email. It was actually a message from a, a, a lady from Sweden by the name of Karine. And Karen had shared, I believe I'm pronouncing her name right, uh, I apologize if I'm saying it wrong, but uh, when I had commented on the uh, April 7th attack in Stockholm at Olians, uh, where a terrorist drove his truck into um, the shopping center after having driven it down the main walkway um, that leads from um, kind of the central area of Stockholm uh, into uh, the royal palace. Uh, that walkway um, where the, the truck had been driving and then crashed into Olean's, uh, that attack, there were some there there was some information that I was sharing during that podcast that came in the immediate uh, hours following that attack. That was not correct. That turned out not to be correct. So what I was, what I was repeating what was being said on the news as well as I was watching the police reports that were coming out, um, from the Stockholm Police Department, uh, when they were doing their press conferences. I was watching those and then giving updates from what I understood from the ground. But now that the attacker has been, uh, detained and arrested, there are some updates that I would just like to share really quick with our audience to make a correction on what was said earlier. Um, before, in the immediate aftermath, there were gunshots that were heard and there were um, several individuals that were seen coming from the truck according to eyewitness reports that were reported on at the time. Uh, however, those seem to not be correct now that uh, the suspect has been um, detained and the, the person that was uh, the main focus of the investigation, the person that actually drove the truck, it seems, into Olean's was a 39-year-old failed asylum seeker from Uzbekistan. Uh, his name was Rakhmat Akilov and he was... Um, sympathizing with the Islamic State and um, the Uzbek authorities said that he had joined ISIS before the attack um, Akilov has admitted to carrying out the attack uh, his trial will take place uh, on April 11th and before that trial took place, he actually admitted to many of the things and clarified many of the things that were not fully understood in the immediate aftermath of the attack. Um, there, in, it looks like he was the only one driving the vehicle at the time, as far as we can tell, and there were four people that died as a result of the attack including an 11-year-old local girl. Fifteen others were injured, nine of them serious, and coincidentally, they were t many of them were taken to Karolinska Hospital, which is <laughs> the exact hospital where my wife was born. My wife and I, we went there to the place in Olean's where the attack took place. Uh, there were just uh, there were tons of flowers. Uh, there were... 
uh, the, the windows of Oleans had been boarded up where the truck had um, tri- w- damaged as it went into the store. Um, and on the bo- the, the, the wood, the card, uh, not the cardboard, but the uh, chipboard that was used to kind of cover up the windows, there were many um, messages written of condolences and love and support for Stockholm and the victims of this attack. They were written on this chipboard. And my wife and I, we went and we joined many of the people that were grieving. The, the number of flowers that were there were, was just amazing. Um, they, they were probably stacked up two feet high just on top of each other. Uh, some people left items that uh, w- were important either to them or symbolic for those that lost their lives. So you saw um, toys that were left there. You saw teddy bears that were left there in addition to all of the flowers. Many cards and notes were left there. Poems were left there. There was a very moving um, situation where a, uh, a a guy comes up and he begins to sing "Amazing Grace," uh, and it was uh, it was something that seemed to be very moving for the people. We always try to report exactly what happened. Um, there are times in the immediate after because we are live on the ground. A lot of times we are sometimes directly involved and when you're directly involved you start to hear things about what is taking place uh, on the ground with the attack and people are wanting as much information as they can get so we try to share that as we have access to it so because now the later news reports contradict the earlier news reports we felt that it was important to come in and correct um, what we had said previously about guns being shot and uh, because it seems that now there were no um, guns. There was a bomb that was not detonated that was in the vehicle according to the news reports that I am reading now. Uh, it was in the vehicle, left in the vehicle, um, was not detonated um, and it seems that uh, the driver may have even been burned by the bomb that was beside him in the vehicle that he drove into Olean's. On <clears throat> as as we look at that attack and I and I start to shift over, it's it's very important that we try to stick as close to the facts as possible, but it's also extremely important for you as the listener to understand that sometimes some of the things that we are reporting on has no connection with the news. So the only thing that we have to go on are the the eyewitness reports of those that we work together with. And I say that as a preamble to North Korea. As we start to look at North Korea and what is happening in North Korea, we have started a special podcast series that is available to our gatekeepers. Um, the, the podcast series focuses on Information about the underground house church in North Korea and the history of North Korea and the tyrant regime that is currently in charge there that you will not hear anywhere else except for this podcast. Um, so what I have decided to do is start to read from our book called Crimson Crucible. Uh, Crimson Crucible is the only book that we know of that is out there that talks about details of the underground house church. Now, many people that are familiar with the situation inside of North Korea, oftentimes when they write a book, the book is from their experience maybe in prison. So, for instance, you'll have individuals that were maybe from America or the U or, or from Canada or from Europe or from North Korea that now made it into South Korea, and they write their stories about being imprisoned in North Korea. Very moving stories. But what is different about this book is we we talk about the initial seeds for the underground house church inside of North Korea. And what got it started and where it's at today, who the leaders are today, what they are doing today, and how this threat of war is uh, impacting missions inside of North Korea. So it's, it's it's a detailed look behind the bamboo curtain as well as a... 
a, a bird's eye view. So we take both views. We we take a more general historical view from from um, thirty thousand feet, and then we zoom in on details that we have been exposed to while working in North Korea um, for more than a decade. When we look at North Korea today, one of the reasons why we decided to do this special podcast uh, that you can only find with Back to Jerusalem is because of the growing tension between North Korea and the United States. It looks like war is on the brink. But there's a few things that we have seen that have been positive just in the last 17 hours. For instance, China just came out today. April 20th is when I am doing this podcast. When it, when this podcast will be released will be more in a few days. So you will be listening to this a few days from now. But from uh, on April 20th, uh, China came out and openly criticized North Korea and praised the U.S. on this nuclear issue. This is massive news. Because, really, North Korea only has one friend, and that's the Chinese. Taking out North Korea would be, I don't want to say a cakewalk for South Korea, the U.S., and Japan. I guarantee those three are going to be in a pact if the U.S. makes any moves on North Korea. Uh, They will do so in correlation with South Korea Um, Because South Korea has a lot to lose, as does Japan. But South Korea and Japan are both sick and tired of living under this threat. That I mean, you got this dictator that is got a crazy haircut. Um, I mean, he 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 seems to be just as insane as his father. And there seems there seems to be nothing that he will not do. And when he launches missiles uh, into the Sea of Japan, when he launches missiles into the territory of South Korea, this is huge. The the people of Seoul, this is a metropolitan area. These are people that don't want to go to war. The only reason um, they are... they They would like to keep their economies going. Japan needs to have economic growth. They've been stagnant for several years now. Um, South Korea is growing economically at breakneck speeds. Um, Anybody that has been traveling in South Korea in the last five years will see a huge, huge difference. Um, Their products have taken world stage. I'm doing this recording right now on a Samsung, um, which is designed and made inside of South Korea. Of course, the parts of it are mostly uh, produced inside of China. And uh, Japan has taken a huge hit from the economic rise uh, and, and dominance, really, of South Korea. And, I mean, when you look at the South Korean products, those have really changed in the last decade. I mean, 10 years ago, you would not have found me dead driving a Kia or a Hyundai. But today, Hyundai and Kia both make really good cars. They're one of the few vehicles... Uh, around the world that offer 10-year bumper-to-bumper warranties. They did that to get rid of some of the bad um, name that they had. I did have a Hyundai uh, in the 90s. It was, a, it was a piece of garbage. I couldn't afford much more than a piece of garbage, so I was very thankful for my piece of garbage, but I was always working on that. And I tell you, when I drove that Hyundai down the road, um, it basically... Um, looked like a smog machine. Um, I uh, I had a cracked head, so it was leaking oil. Um, I was burning oil, and because I was burning oil, of course, um, it, the, it looked like a, a smog machine coming out of my back tailpipe. It was just a very, very bad car. And I've always had a grudge against Hyundai ever since I had that vehicle. Um, but... That those days have changed since the 90s. South Korea has really stepped up their game, and their economy has grown. They, they're they're one of the most well connected countries in the world when it comes to the internet. Their internet is super high speed. Um, it's uh, it's a it's always a joy to fly through the Incheon Airport. And then of course, when we look at the advancements of Japan, 
they also have a lot of um, to lose, economically speaking, if they were to go to war with North Korea. I said all of that to say they do not want war with North Korea. They want to live in peace with North Korea. But they cannot continue to allow their citizens, if a government serves any purpose really at all, it is to provide protection for their citizens. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people would feel that, you know, free education, free medical care, um, these are to take care of the poor, to provide an income for those that can't provide an income for themselves. To, in some people's minds, this would be the role of government. But the very basic... The, 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 the lowest bar to set for any government in the world, in the history of man, is to provide protection for their people. And to be continually threatened over and over and over again by a regime that continues to launch nuclear, or not nuclear, but, but missiles, testing for nuclear weapons, launching missile tests into your water, your, your sovereign water areas is a real threat to the people of both South Korea and Japan. And uh, for many years, people have said that they, they cannot get their hands on a nuclear weapon. Well, that all changed under the Bush administration. Um, during the Bush administration... <clears throat> North Korea was able to carry out a successful nuclear weapon test. And this has been a, a, a huge fear of people all around the world. That day should have never come. I, I can still remember where I was on that day. I was standing in Hong Kong at uh, Pier Number 3 in Central when I opened up the, my phone to see the news that North Korea had successfully tested a nuclear weapon. And I called Brother Rin and I said, did you see the news? North Korea just tested a nuclear weapon. The world will not be the same from this day on. Once they got a nuclear weapon, once they were able to test a nuclear weapon, which they were never supposed to, in 1994, U.S. President Clinton, working together with Japan, South Korea, and China, was able to draw up, I don't want to say a treaty because it wasn't ratified by Congress. By calling it a treaty would mean that it needed to be ratified by Congress because it was so cheesy. It had so many... Um, kind of uh, uh, loopholes that North Korea could easily cheat on the program, and they did. <clears throat> they could easily cheat on the program. Um, Bill Clinton knew that he would not be able to pass that treaty under a Republican Congress, so he passed it in a way that was an executive agreement with North Korea instead of a U.S.-North Korea treaty. Because a treaty would have needed Congress. Um, but um, the, a fancy footwork on the language of it um, meant that Congress was not needed. So it became a, a, an executive agreement with North Korea that would um, supply North Korea with oil and, and allow uh, North Korea certain trading rights if North Korea agreed to shut down their plutonium uh, base that was actually only there for making plutonium. But, um, and, and they said that it, was, that it was actually for energy, that they were building this nuclear site for energy, but it was, it, the, the site was not even connected to their grid. So there was no way on God's green earth that was ever going to produce electricity. And, and that's often what the, the, the people hide behind when they try to make um, these nuclear programs and try to slide them by uh, the United Nations Security Council. And a lot, everybody at the table knows the game. Nobody, nobody believes that North Korea's nuclear site, uh, nuclear buildup site in 1994 had anything to do with electricity. But um, they, they really wanted, uh, Moscow repeatedly um, tried to get, or privately, they privately pushed North Korea to join the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. 
and they didn't. But on the same token, um, Moscow and Beijing would not allow Washington to put any um, punishments on to North Korea for not joining the non-proliferation treaty. So there were safeguards that were put in place together with Bill Clinton on the International Atomic Energy Agency, known as the IAEA, and this was what they were trying to uh, use as a tool to contain North Korea. Maybe not necessarily. It's the same thing that we see in Iran. They know that with the cheesy setup that Obama did with Iran, which has which has zero teeth whatsoever, um, the 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 reassurance that you get to see if they're making nuclear weapons or not is to pre-announce that you're coming to inspect certain sites long before you ever get there and of course rely on the, in, in the initial stages for they themselves to inspect themselves <laughs> I can't even say that without laughing um, that the, the, this Clinton Treaty as well as the Iran Treaty essentially relies on the nation themselves to monitor themselves. Meaning that you're going to police yourselves and report to us how you're doing according to the policing mechanisms that we've put into place. So... <clears throat> If you're making nuclear weapons and you know you're not supposed to be nuclear, making nuclear weapons, we're going to send your own people in to investigate your own sites and have you come back and tell us whether you're doing what you're not supposed to be doing or not. That doesn't even make sense. I mean, these are supposed to be some of the smartest people. In, and I guarantee you, if I was to sit down beside these politicians that drew up these treaties and study a class together with them, there's no doubt in my mind that they would out-test me in a heartbeat. If we were to test my IQ up against their IQ, they would out-test me in a minute. So I am not in any way insinuating that I'm somehow smarter than they are. But what I am insinuating is I'm not as dumb as they think I am. Dude, you cannot tell me that you got things under control when you're allowing the people that are breaking the law to investigate themselves to report back whether they're breaking the law or not. Please don't patronize me. Please don't treat me like a moron. I mean, I will concede that I may not be as smart as you guys that are drawing up this plan. But please don't treat me with kid gloves as if I won't notice something that is as blatantly obvious as allowing those that are breaking international law to monitor themselves and report back honestly whether or not they are breaking international law. And that's basically what happened under the Clinton administration with North Korea and of course when Bush took over. Uh, came in to be president in the year 2000 following after Clinton he did not like the treaty did not try to f push through further with the treaty and lost control of it altogether was not willing to go to war or battle with it he was al already by 2001 um, there was September 11th and then of course by 2003 we were knee deep inside of Iraq so there was no desire to go to war with another nation on another part of the globe, which would have been Asia at the time. There, there was no desire whatsoever. But here's the thing. When you kick that can down the road, once they got access to, to nuclear weapons, there should have been very stiff punishment to pay. There should have been, there should have been a, 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 a big blockade on that nation right away. China should have known that the international community was not playing games and that China needed to either get on board or shut up. And at that time, in the early 2000s, China's economy was not where it is today. Today, they're basically the world's strongest economy. And it depends on how you measure it, of course, but by GDP, I, they're blowing everyone else away. Though they are very poor, mainly in the West, it's a massive, massive country. And even if you divide it into three different parts and give each part their own nation status, they would still be one of the biggest economic engines in the world by far, beating the United States. But, 
Now, we have a completely different animal. We have a North Korea that is more desperate than ever before. They're poor and really need to keep their people under control because their people are sick and tired of this regime, this this legacy that comes from the Kims. They want this regime to end. That's why um, top officers that served under Kim Jong-il had to be executed soon after the death so that Kim Jong-un could establish his dominance. That's why his brother was just assassinated last month in Kuala Lumpur. He needs to tighten down on his reign and he's trying to make people happy by building theme parks. He's been building um, ski resorts. And he, oh, by the way, he just opened up a 770 foot ultra, quote unquote, ultra modern, prestigious skyscraper complex in the heart of Pyongyang. So he comes out, um, by the way, more than half a a million undesirables had to be moved out of the city in order to do this. But when he came in um, to cut the ribbon, doing the ribbon cutting ceremony for this huge massive tower that is that has been quoted by him to be ultra modern, ultra, ultra prestigious skyscraper complex to really show Pyongyang as a modern city like Seoul. <laughs> Unfortunately, it came out right away that this building doesn't even have hot water. So, so much for ultra-modern. Unless uh, in, in ultra-modern you don't have hot water. And for a place like Jamaica, maybe you don't really need hot water. You just use room temperature because it's already hot outside. Maybe in Saudi Arabia, you don't need hot water because it's already hot outside. By the time the water comes through the water pipes on ground level, they're heated up before they even come into your faucet. However, in Pyongyang, that's not the case. Above the 38th parallel, it is stinking cold. You want hot water most of the year, I guarantee it. Uh, But... He's doing these things, building a ski resort, uh, starting these theme parks, um, building these modern skyscrapers, um, which are not modern at all. These are all big flops I'm just because they're not. The, the, at the theme park, you got mechanisms that are not safe at all. Everything has to be made in the country, uh, meaning that they don't really have molds for the thing. So they have to make from scratch. Um, the the nuts and bolts and different parts, the levers, all of these things have to be made from scratch inside of North Korea with very little access to a lot of the uh, resources that they really need in order to pull something like this off. I tell you one thing, I would not want to be on a ski lift in on, on this in the ski resort in North Korea. Who knows where those cables are coming from? Who knows the purification process for for the metal used in in those cables? But um, the big deal right now is, of course, that the United States has one of their massive naval fleets inside of uh, the the waters of the Korean Peninsula. This is massive news. This never happened at any point, really, while I was serving in the military. I don't know if it's happened at any point since the Korean War. This has got Russia and China on the edges of their seats. And uh, China knows to take Trump. I think Trump did a charm offensive with China when China, when the Chinese President Xi was inside of the United States. And, and here's the thing war between with 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 North Korea between the United States uh, Japan and South Korea with North Korea is it would be an annihilation it's it's it would not even be fair and it may be the best thing for them the people would do well they would be treated better by the South Koreans and the Japanese that would conquer them than they are being treated right now by their own leadership think about that for a minute the enemies that would in, that would invade inside of North Korea for war would have a better chance of treating the North Korean people better than their own regime, than Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un treats the people so badly that if they were attacked by the United States, South Korea, and Japan, they would be treated better 
by the victors if if North Korea, Japan, and South Korea would win, which I don't even think there's a question. Uh, trust me, when you look at the military um, um, sides, on both sides, if you start to measure up the military resources on both sides, North Korea would be annihilated. Have you seen these guys march? The, the parade that they just did, they just did a parade just a couple days ago. Uh, right now I'm doing this podcast on, on April 20th. I think it was like April... 18th or, or 15th. It's, it's, it's been a few days ago. They just had this huge parade for the Day of the Sun, uh, which is the birth of Kim Jong, uh, Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea, which is the year 105. So it's 105 years since the death of, of, uh, Kim Il-sung. Now, they don't go by the year 2016 inside of North Korea. They have their own year. So they go by the year, year 105 is their year inside of North Korea. And while they were celebrating his birth, um, and, and, you know, because he is the founder, uh, they did a huge military parade. And it was during this parade that the world set in shock and awe because they saw that these missiles that were paraded out were submarine-based missiles. And most of the world did not even know that they had these kind of capabilities. So they've seen that. North Korea has advanced quite a bit further than what they really thought. However, you know, I'm I'm from... Um, special operations. So I'm quite, I, as I'm watching the parade, I'm quite fascinated with some of their marching soldiers. And so they show some of these more um, low speed, high drag guys that are dressed in camouflage utility. So they're not in uniform, they're dressed in camis, which shows that they're a part of a special unit. Their faces are done with cam- camouflage makeup, which absolutely serves zero purpose when you're in an urban setting. They are marching down the street in a parade. So Camming up your face, putting camo paint, camouflage paint on your face while being on a street parade only makes sense in the way that you're trying to portray an image. These guys are wearing these Ray-Ban knockoff sunglasses that I guarantee you are cheapo knockoffs, probably made in China, would, would not survive a ballistics test to save your life, meaning that if any backfire came from anything, those glasses would serve more as a um, problem than a help. They would not black, block your face from being hit by brass. They may, in fact, be chipped away with glass and throw glass into your eye that otherwise would not be there if you had the main object actually flying at your face. It might be better to take chances with that object flying at your face than to wear those cheesy sunglasses that they were wearing. Then they were wearing these... these um, uh, NVGs that are from like World War One era, <clears throat> where you can't ha- you don't have depth perception. I know those NVGs. You you're not able to see in 3D, which means that you can't hardly walk. Yeah, you can see, you can observe an area, but you can't really tell distance. You can't really tell um, depth at all, and you don't want to walk while wearing those things at nighttime because you may end up falling off a mountain because you can't tell depth perception. That's what these guys are coming out with, and then they're carrying these weapons. They almost look like a like an M203, you know, with a grenade launcher on the bottom of an M16. And, and by the way, they're not carrying M16s. They're carrying these knockoff AK47. So they're not even the cheesy broken pieces of junk AK47s made by the Russians that most of the um, terrorist groups around the world carry. And the reason they carry them is because they're such a cheap they're such an uh, a, a cheap firearm to purchase. I mean. You know, millions of these were made to arm um, Eastern Europe, and Eastern Europe ended up never being invaded like was prepared. These city, these people did not have to be armed with these AK-47s. These AK-47s are not very reliable weapons. They jam very easily. Um, they only have a, um, a a distance of like 200, less than 300 meters at the most uh, with some of the older ones. Some of the newer ones get a little bit more than 300 meters. Um, the M16, for instance, with the 5.56 um Shell will only fire 550 um, feet. I'm sorry, 550 yards. Uh, we use yards in the U.S., so it's 550 yards, which is about five and a half football fields away. And with using iron sights with an M16, I've done it. 
using iron sights as a United States Marine, we go back further with the M16 than any other military in the world. And you are able to accurately shoot that weapon at 500 yards, and that's where they test you. The United States Marines test their um, Marines. I won't, I almost said soldiers. That would be, <laughs> there would be a lot of Marines very upset at me if I referred to them as soldiers. They're, the United States Marine Corps um, tests their Marines shooting capabilities by making them go back to the 500 yard line and you have to fire the weapon and hit your target at 500 yards. If you don't, you fail. And if you fail, you're not, you're no longer in the Marines. It's one of the few reasons why you can be dropped from boot camp. And, um, and basically when you do become a Marine and you are unqualified, you have to keep going until you are able to qualify. I was a firing instructor. I taught Marines how to shoot Marines that were already, uh, in the field, Marines that already graduated. So when they went for their annual, uh, shooting test, I oftentimes uh, spent time instructing them. And that was a part of my downtime job, meaning that when I would come back from a deployment in the Middle East, then units would be changed up. People would go to their new units. Others would get out of the Marine Corps. And during that downtime, uh, there were times where I served as a firing instructor firearms instructor and showed Marines, uh, helped them relearn how to fire an M16 weapon on the range in order to qualify. Well, these, these, uh, AK-47 knockoffs, they're not even the real thing. So they're already bad coming from Russia, but North Korea has their own, which is much, much, much worse. So I don't even know how many times these things jam, but the reason I bring them up is because they got these, these, if you look at any pictures of these guys marching in the parade, I'm looking at one right now. These guys, okay, you're doing the goose step high kick marching, but these cannons that are on the bottom are, <laughs> they can't really be reloaded in a firefight. They're almost put on there with duct tape, a little bit more than duct tape. They're just complete garbage. And look at the pictures of them marching the ends of their rifles are in the faces of the guys next to them shoot i don't even know if it's needed to attack north korea just give them ammunition and let them march around they might actually shoot each other in the face the only person that would survive is the person that is to the extreme right because all of them are holding their weapons and shooting the guy to the left so in their columns that are like five, six people deep, they're basically pointing their weapon directly at the face of the person next to them. It's insane. And I said all of that to say this, to just prove a point. South Korea, highly trained, extremely disciplined military with a lot of military resources financially. Japan, same thing. Highly trained, highly disciplined. Did you not see Japan in World War II? They were ferocious. They are ferocious animal fighters. You do not want to tick off the Japanese. Now, I know the Chinese and the Koreans, they don't like the Japanese because of the World War II. But let me tell you, they are an army to be reckoned with. Of course, right now, they're only allowed to have a defense force. If they ever choose to militarize again, the world needs to sit up and take notice because they're only a small little island of, of Japanese. They kicked the Americans out of the Pacific Islands. They kicked the British out of East Asia. They took over China like it was walking through hot butter. They went into South Korea and North Korea and took it over with no problem. They went into um, uh, Thailand, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, these guys are bad boys when it comes to being able to... I mean, they took that that creativity, they took that discipline, and they put it into making cars and electronics. And thank God for that because they make very good cars and they make extremely good electronics. If they start to use that ingenuity back for war again, lo and behold, you will have a force to be reckoned with. And then, of course, bring in the U.S., which has the the most fierce military in the world today. Those three militaries at your doorstep, they will walk through North Korea no problem at all. So why aren't they doing it? Why don't they just do it and get it over with? That would be the best for everybody, including the North Korean people.
That's just my feeling. Has nothing to do with religion. Has nothing to do with my following of Christ. Has nothing to do with my support of Back to Jerusalem. This is not a Back to Jerusalem endorsement of war on North Korea. I'm just telling you, if if the people from America, Japan, and South Korea invaded North Korea, the North Koreans would be better off than they are right now. Much, much, much better off. So why don't they? Why don't they just relieve the people of their misery and go marching in? Well, because of one big, fat, stinking reason. China. You do not want to screw with China right now. They are a dragon that is flexing their muscles like never before. And they said no. Hands off of North Korea. They are the only reason, the only reason North Korea has not been invaded. And it's a hard decision. But North Korea cannot be allowed to continue to hold hostage Japan, South Korea, and the rest of Southeast Asia and the world. Who knows what they will do? They have to be stopped. And so now the world is seeing a very aggressive America sending in their naval forces right into the waters of the Korean Peninsula. And because of that, China has just been brought into a Trump offensive, a charm offensive, where where Trump has been charming President Xi. And both America and uh, China have very little to gain from a war with North Korea. Because a war with North Korea between America and North Korea would basically be a war between America and China, and probably Russia, but mainly China. But China doesn't want that. Right now, America is the largest trading partner for Chinese goods. Goods exports this year, or I'm sorry, 2016, totaled $116 billion dollars. While good imports totaled $482 billion. The U.S. goods trade deficit with China is $366 billion. Trade deficit. The, China has bought the debt, a, a lot of the debt of the U.S. deficit. So the U.S. deficit has made the U.S. dollar weaker. Unless the U.S. dollars being taken off the market, which it is by China. China's buying up the dollars, taking them off the market, bringing them out of circulation so it keeps the U.S. dollar strong. By keeping the U.S. dollar strong, they're able to secure their investment, which is the deficit. So um, uh, America owes a lot of their debt to the Chinese. Now, 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 this is very important. The reason why is because if there's a war between China and America then two things happen. Two major things happen. One, that trade stops today. What do you think happens to both the U.S. economy and the Chinese economy if a war breaks out? Those economies that are based so strongly on trade, have you ever gone to Alibaba or tried to buy something from Walmart that, that's not made in China? I mean, the, the goods in America that are made by China are dominant. China relies on their consumers in the U.S. as much as the consumers in the U.S. rely on their producers from China. So if there's a war between those two, you're going to see a, a massive decline in economy. I think the U.S. can weather it. I don't think China can. Not at this point. I could be wrong, but that's my opinion. The other thing, and the reason why I don't think they can weather it, is because they own a lot of debt. A lot of paper debt. A lot of debt that means absolutely nothing if the debtor doesn't pay it. So basically, a war between America and China would be like claiming bankruptcy for America. Saying, okay, we no longer owe you that. You're no longer getting that money. Which now is another way of saying the U.S. is being sponsored by their deficit with China. Meaning that essentially China is paying for the U.S. military strike. So I don't know if you're following me or not, but a war between the U.S. and North Korea is not good for China. It's not good for anybody, but it's really not good for China. And we're seeing that today with China coming out and openly denouncing Pyongyang. The North Korea's vice foreign minister, Pyongyang, said missile tests will now take place weekly. This is a part of their outburst. This is what they do. And um, the Chinese foreign ministry right away came out and said Beijing was 
quote unquote, gravely concerned. American officials did not make the same positive and constructive remarks, such as using whatever peaceful means possible to resolve the Korean Peninsula issue. This represents a general direction that we believe is correct and should be adhered to, is what the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Liu said. So, this is a massive update. And it leads me all to our final thing that I want to point out on this podcast. And that is this. While this has been taking place, Chinese are still delivering Bibles inside of North Korea. They are still working in North Korea. They are still uh, holding Bible studies and preaching the gospel in North Korea. Though the world is shaken, though these outbursts are taking place, though I can sit for, uh, oh, let me see, it's been about 45 minutes. I can sit for 45 minutes and pontificate on what the general situation, the political situation inside North Korea is. I come back to our main focus. And what is that? My main focus isn't to tell you what the likelihood of war is between America and North Korea, South Korea and North Korea, Japan and North Korea. That. I'm not qualified for that. I can only give you my sense of the situation by being here in this part of the world and try to give you my idea. But to be honest, my idea is about as bogus as anybody else. Because unless you are in the know, and I'm not in the know, I'm not sitting in the security briefings with Donald Trump. I'm not sitting in the security briefings, thank God. I'm not sitting in the security briefings with Kim Jong-un because that would probably lead to my head being cut off if I didn't agree with everything that insane, uh, bad haircut-wearing person actually said. But uh, uh, my main focus is what can we do to get the gospel into North Korea? And to do that, I think it is important for us as believers to always keep abreast of the political and economic situation and military situation of every nation in which we serve. To pray for the people, to pray for the situation, and let His will be done. Because my will, the, the way that I believe it can be best served, the, the way that I believe that God's kingdom can best be carried out inside of North Korea may be way, way off. So, I focus on supporting the Back to Jerusalem missionaries who are living and working and serving in North Korea, which they are. And for those of you that are our gatekeepers... I thank you for your support. I thank you for your monthly contribution to what we're doing. Because it is from the funds that we are receiving from gatekeepers specifically that we are using to help North Korea. Right now, just to be completely honest with you, back there's the two main things that Back to Jerusalem funding is going for outside of China at the moment is Iraq and North Korea. Those are the two biggest ticket items financially. So if you were to look at our budget, those are the biggest items that we are using on the budget. And the thing is, a lot of the funding that we are spending in those two locations are not earmarked. Meaning that people are not giving to North Korea. People are not giving to Iraq. We are using funding that is not earmarked because it's something that we believe in and we can't always keep people up to date with everything that's going. So, for instance, I can set up a fund for North Korea to supply some of the projects that we're doing, but those projects change so fast that by the time it took us to raise the funding, it may be that we already need to change it and need to change the way that those funds are being used. And that happens quite a bit when working in volatile situations like North Korea and Iraq. So we have certain projects that we keep going because they're more easy to plan for in the long term and then into the future, six months, one year, two years into the future. So we'll set up a project and then we'll ask people to support that project. But we can't always do that for the projects that we're doing in North Korea. Also, I can't tell you exactly what it is that we're doing in North Korea for safety reasons. So I personally rely heavy 
on funding that is given through gatekeepers. Gatekeepers, if you don't know, is a group of people that is praying for Back to Jerusalem on a monthly basis and said, hey, you know what? I believe in this ministry. I believe in what you're doing. I want to be a part of it. So I want to dedicate $25 a month, which is less than a dollar a day, less than a cup of coffee a day, definitely less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks per day, less than a cup of coffee per day. You're saying, I want to be a part of what God is doing in these areas. For those of you that are going to be listening to the podcast, we're doing a special podcast just for you for North Korea, where we're doing an ebook on the Crimson Crucible. So we're doing regular updates that are specifically just for you listeners that are supporters through the gatekeepers. But if you're not a part of the gatekeepers, could I ask you to pray about it and see if that is something that you could possibly partner with us on? Because it is an amazing blessing when we can make a decision in five seconds on the ground. And it's needed every single time. I can't tell you specifics, but there was a partner that came to me just a couple days ago and said, we got two Chinese living and working in North Korea, and this is what they need. And they need it now. Can we do it? And I said yes, because I knew I knew that I knew that I knew that our sponsors, our supporters, our prayer partners through Back to Jerusalem gatekeepers would be monthly supporting us and we can use those funds to take care of that issue. Praise God for that. I praise God for you. I thank you that we are. We could not do this without your help. And I'm so thankful for gatekeepers. And the Back to Jerusalem missionaries, even though there's wars and rumors of wars for North Korea, the, the Back to Jerusalem missionaries are currently in North Korea serving and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Come hell or high water, come war or peace, they will be there. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. My name is Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I am coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China. God bless.